<laughs> British Strongman Podcast. This evening we have Shannon Clifford joining us. Who is Hi everyone. Hello. Who is the first female we've had on this podcast? Um so Shannon, sorry to put you on the spot. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? And say what you do, what sport you do, and um what's your proudest achievement in your in the sport so far? Yep, um, I'm Sharon Clifford. I compete in strong woman, and I'm a nutritionist. Um, well, I did a bit of powerlifting before I started strong woman for two or three years, and I was British junior champion. And then I got a little bit bored and did a bit of strongman. Um, my proudest achievement in strongman is probably coming third at the Arnold's. I did it earlier this year. Kind of expected to, well, hopefully aim for top ten and manage to get podium. So my future goals is to potentially win that then. Brilliant. And what's your what's your your favourite lift and your proudest lift? Uh, Probably deadlift. Um, my max on that's two ten, so it's pretty good. Um, yeah, so I'd say that's probably my favourite lift. I enjoy some of the lifts which I'm quite a bit weaker at, like log, just because there's a more potential for getting somewhere with it and like working around weaknesses and stuff, which I quite enjoy. I don't always just like training my strengths. Yeah, and what, I forgot you came for powerlifting because when you first went to the under sixty threes. Um, yeah, I remember you making that transition of like dipping your toe into strong woman and then going back to powerlifting for a bit or a comp or something, and then you kind of fully went in. And I actually almost forgot you even used to, to powerlift, to be honest. Yeah, I always planned to do both, but it was quite hard to train for like maxes all the time with powerlifting and then try and train the events. I just feel like it wasn't working that well. So, and strongman's more fun. Do you still bench or not? Like, of interest. I do, I do bits. Like sometimes I'll have a few months where I don't do it, and then I'll add it back in. But my bench is strong. Oh, I tested a max like probably about six months ago after not benching for a year, and it was more than what I'd hit when I was actually powerlifting. But it's not strong. Right. So, so the log and all the extra pressing work is obviously, yeah. I, I find that you know I think for some reason for most people I just think that strongman builds a good bench, even if yeah. you don't. Uh, don't train it, you just get you just get strong. If you've got that technical skill from doing it before, yeah, you, you can just pick it up, you know, within a couple of sessions, can't you? I, I didn't do much pressing or anything like that when I was doing um, powerlifting, so I think that had quite a negative impact on my bench because when I started doing that, it did start to go up and just everything got stronger. But I think I had a lot of weaknesses when it came to bench that I just didn't address because I didn't really realize how to. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people just bench to fix the bench, don't they? Yeah, just, just bench like five times a week and still not yeah. really get anywhere. Brilliant. So, where, what what would you say is like your, I suppose, um, biggest strength in in strong woman in terms of, like, what what's what do you think set, sets you like sets you apart from the people who finish below you at the Arnold's, for instance? Pissing on the platform. <laughs> yeah, making the platform slippery for pissing on it. shit on log like the first day I was a bit crap and I thought I was I came seventh on log so I thought I'm sort of where I expect to be like just on, well, around mid just above mid table but when my deadlift brought it back quite a bit because I was third on that um moving was a thing which I thought I'd fuck up on because I've never really been that good at moving events I've been training them a lot but I didn't know like how good they got in comparison to others because I had no comps in between. Um, I was in the top five and all the moving. So I think I was just quite consistent with everything. My overhead was a bit behind, but I think I was consistent enough with everything else to bring me up there. 
Yeah. So it was a bit of a loaded question from me because like what I, what, what I actually think what, what's great about you as a strong woman, as a fan, it is actually, I think like your, your, your attitude to being well-rounded and like there's, there's, there's like nothing that you, you shit at or if there is something that you think that you shit at, you'll just graft at it and you'll just work at it until you're like forced progression until it gets better rather yeah. than like it could be very easy someone in your position for instance like say with your 210 deadlift to actually think that oh fucking hell like oh I could really push my deadlift if I if I really specialize in this and um and like look at deadlift only comps or what you could pull in a suit or whatever and you could sp like you see a lot of people like specializing and then kind of getting away from what I feel like the the sport is about yeah, I feel like if I just did more deadlifts, then I might get an extra point in comp, but that's not going to win me anything. Yeah, in exactly. terms of maxes, I'm like Rihanna's obviously better than me. I think I'm probably second in terms of the 63s. It's like I'm not going to beat Rihanna, and I just need to sort of stay where I am. It's like overheads was the thing that was letting me down a lot, and moving was a bit. It's like if I work on them, then I'm likely to be able to push closer to the top for the sake of getting yeah, the next extra point. Yeah, but I suppose what I mean is like you see, you see like a, a lot of people like specialising with a lift or a lift that they find that that comes a bit easier to them, or that they're getting good at, or they're getting a good kind of recognition for it. It can be easy to fall into the thing of like doing more of the stuff that you enjoy because you you're getting better at it. So I, I think it's I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think I found more fun, well, more enjoyment, just getting stronger at like my weaknesses. Yeah, well, that's it. Because like, I remember, I remember you maybe th what was it, three, four, five years ago or something, and like your overhead wasn't great, was it? Like it, it was, was really shit. My best push press was um, forty kilos when I started strong woman in twenty seventeen. Yeah, and you and what have you got up to now on your over ninety? Yeah. Yeah. Did you do much? Uh, did you do much overhead at all when you did powerlifting? Then, or was it no, like barely anything. I did a little bit of strict press, but it wasn't that regular. But I, was, I think the most of strict press was like twenty-seven and a half kilos. Because I know you went to the uh, triple X. Is that where you first started to? Because I, I remember, I remember when you first started. Because obviously, I followed the six threes for years. And I, am I remembering correctly that you went to Trav and? worked on your technique a lot on the overhead and stuff and that yeah well kind of my first comp was a qualifier and I didn't expect to qualify and when I did I think I had like eight weeks and it was um 60 for reps so I was like shit I need someone to help me with my overhead so that's when I started going to traps and I actually got the 60 in training before the comp but then zeroed on comp day yeah shout out to Trav, absolute legend yeah I still me and Paul train there like twice a week yeah yeah I've seen I like Trav. I think he's an absolute I think he's just a fucking legend I think yeah he is <laughs> So um, what, what about your goals then? What about your goal? Where, where do you want to be with the, with Strong Woman? What's the, the big picture? Well, I guess the long-term goals to win Arnold's and Worlds. Um, at first, I didn't think it would really be achievable. But it's always like the end goal, isn't it, for everyone? But I didn't think it'd be achievable. But after coming third in Arnold's, it's sort of just lit a bit of fire. Like, I could actually do it. Cool. I think as well... Um... When, when I think when Worlds was on last year, whenever it was, everybody expected Re to win, like yeah. almost every event. So I think her coming, wherever the fuck she came, uh, before she had to drop out, kind of made people realise, oh shit, actually, like you know, we can 
win these comps. We can. Because for me, it was like just girls came out of nowhere on like events that you people don't pay too much attention to and they just smashed it. And then when you think to yourself, oh, could I get 10 seconds faster on a medley? You think, well, yeah, I could. And then I'm going to gain all these points. Whereas when people think, can I, can I deadlift 260, 270? Well, yeah, well, maybe, maybe that's a little unrealistic. But there's, there's eight other events there at Worlds that you, know, you can definitely beat all these top girls. Like you, you're, you're right in the mix with uh, everyone, in my opinion. Yeah, the standard's ridiculous at Worlds, but last year it sort of showed no one's unbeatable. Like everyone was taking points off each other, especially in like the top six or seven girls. So it's, it'd be a really interesting year next year, especially with it being cancelled. I think there'll be more people there. Yeah, it was yeah, I find it really exciting to watch, because especially like in the UK scene, there's like obviously Ryu, Chloe Brennan, I can't remember who else there is. There's Kate like, Connolly as well. Yeah, Kate Connolly. Yeah. It, just it's class. I think it's really competitive and just awesome. Yeah. She just missed out on podium, didn't she, Kate? Yeah, she was fourth overall. I'm not sure what the points were like, though. Cool. So <clears throat> a question that we, we kind of get a lot and we, we kind of talk about is... Um, like people who feel that strong man, strong woman, you you kind of have to kind of get into the taking gear or EDs or whatever to be competitive. Um, and you can see why some people take take like pressured into that jump. What what do what do you think? What's your opinion? I think a lot of people take it too soon, like, especially in the men's. Like you see novices on it, and it's just not needed. If you need it to get out a novice, you're never going to be at any sort of decent standard. Um, with girls, when I first started, I was proper naive to it. I, I didn't really realize girls actually took it and I didn't think that many men did, but I think Strongman sort of opened my eye to how many people are actually on it. Um, but my thoughts on it is, I think you need to see what your natural potential is first, see how far you can get, focus on your nutrition, your sleep, make sure you're training well, recovering well, things like that. Should be a bit of a last resort thing. Like if you start stalling, then fair enough, but it's not really worth considering unless you're at a standard where it's kind of worth something. Like if you're in some sort of inters comp and you want it, take it to win, it's not really going to get you anywhere. But if your goal is to win worlds and you come in top 10, top five natural, then then it's something that's probably worth considering if it's the route you want to go down. But I think until you get to that point, I think sometimes it can be more of a hindrance because people take too much and high dosage and it'll probably have a negative effect on your body compared to what it could on your training. What, and what do you think, Che? I know we've talked about this fucking endlessly, haven't we? But like, what, what do you think about, do you agree with that kind of getting to your natural potential and then doing it? Or do you think you like could be holding yourself back, like letting yourself get to that limit? It's just, it's, it's really hard to say is the honest truth because some people it might take fucking 12, 13 years to get to the natural potential. You know what I mean? Other people seem to get there quicker. That's just the way sport goes. Like that's why you see weightlifters at peaking at nineteen. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and then they uh, don't really get much further. They sometimes regress because of injuries and stuff. And then you get other guys that peak later on in the the life. So it's kind of like one of those things where uh, it's really, I don't know. My opinion on it's like it's just a roll of the fucking dice because. Do you want to dedicate 15, 20 years of your life to strong man, strong woman? If you do, then yeah, wait and see what the natural potential is. If you're thinking, I want to do this in the next, because it just depends on mindset, doesn't it? Some people are like, I'm all in for six to 10 years or whatever. And I, I, don't, I want to get as far as I possibly can. Then yeah, maybe take the PEDs a little sooner than your natural potential. Like, you know, learn your skills and everything and get good for a couple of years. 
but you might be, you know, five years away from your natural potential. And I'd still say you'd earn the right to use it. And then you, you're going to get to your peak within the next, you know, five years or whatever, uh, where, where somebody else could chip away kilo after kilo, month after month, reach the natural potential after 10 years and then use it. But then you've got another five years on top. You know what I mean? It's just, a, it depends on the person, on the mindset. Like, do you want to dedicate that much time to it? I, I know I do. I want to be doing this into you know, into my fucking 40s and 50s. Um, so one of my goals at the moment is to just try and not die and stay and stay injury free and alive because I know for a fact that I just will lift, you know, whether I'm, you know, getting to world record numbers or not, I know I'm going to lift. Whereas some people, if they're not, you know, able to hit those PBs and stuff, they don't want to lift, they don't care about it. It's not, they don't have the same kind of fun I do, if that makes sense. So I don't know if I explained that very well. Yeah. So Shane, hypothetically, right? If you, you had like, if you were coaching a, like an under sixty-three girl who's been, or what lady who'd been, who's achieving good things internationally, nationally, whatever, and then they were wanting to make that step, um, like what, what, what would you, what would you kind of recommend for? Is it like similar to this kind of stuff that we've talked about before for people starting out, or would you be, or, or would it be? Uh, for, for girls, I do not recommend uh, PEDs. I just don't think they should take them, personally. Um, unless they're willing to, you know, alter their body forever, then I just don't think they should take them. Um, so I will never really advise someone to take them. And if they ask me to pay, say I'll pay five grand for a cycle, I'll tell them to fuck off. But I'll tell them to take 10 milligram of cardarine, 10 milligram of osterine for six weeks, that's arm. And enjoy that because it'll give you great results, loads faster than your natural. You won't affect anything. You won't fuck any shit up for the future. Because in my opinion, I just think it's all well and good saying, I don't care if I grow a moustache. I don't care. I will take the gains. But I just think in 10 years, you're probably going to wish you didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or 20, you know, when you're fucking 45, 50 retired and just chilling out and you've got a fucking square jaw and a moustache you probably will regret it so i would say do the psalms route because you're not going to get those things and people vastly underrate them especially in females females just they just need like a little slither of you know anabolics and boom strong delts traps and then they're not going to get all those negatives whereas you take anovar for starters, it's probably not Anavar. And secondly, it's probably not dosed right. So you're just going to get, you don't know what you're taking, what you're doing, you're going to get side effects. And the problem with the side effects for women is they always do one cycle and then they go, oh, I didn't get any sides. I must react well to it. This is great. But they're just so subtle that you don't see them. And then it's the third cycle and the fourth cycle and the fifth cycle. And then you're two years in, you look back on a picture and you go, oh, I look a little different. Like, how did this happen? Like, I swear I wasn't getting side effects. And that's that's why it always creeps up because the amount of times girls are saying, I don't get side stuff steroids. And I'm like, you do, you just can't see them yet because they're just real subtle changes. And then in a couple of years, you're gonna be like, oh fuck, this happened. And then you can't you can't go back. A man gets some side effects, he just got he can go back. You know, his balls suck up into his gooch. Do a PCT, they're going to fucking fly right back down. You're good. But woman, it's a bit different. So that's my opinion on that. Which some people say is sexist, but I stand by it. I think it's true. Cool. 
So last little thing on that topic, unless we, unless you want to talk about it further. Um, so obviously Sh- Shannon has a nutrition coaching um, business. That's a main thing. Uh, well, sorry, that's your, your business, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's your job. Um, so what, one of the questions that, that I've had is um, basically is n- nutrition different for the athletes that you coach who who would be taking PEDs versus natural or, or is it pretty much the same? Most of it tends to be the same. It's hard to really compare unless I've worked with them when they were natural and then worked with them when they're on heads. Yeah. Um, but nothing but, really seems that different. Depending on what they're on, I'd probably look into what the side effects are health-wise and if there's anything extra supplements I need to take to help sort that out. Um, but typically they just follow a similar nutrition plan to someone who was natural. The calories could be a bit higher depending on what they're taking. But again, it's hard to know if I hadn't worked with them when they were natural anyway. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, unless you worked with them when you're natural, you wouldn't know, would you? Because yeah. they, they, they could be on 800 more calories, but you don't know because you know, you didn't coach them or whatever, or they didn't yeah. even track the calories back then. So it's kind of a, unless you work with somebody really long term, it's very hard to, to say, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. So, so Shannon, t- tell us about your your coaching business then, your nutrition coaching business. So, um, like, what's your what's your average client? What's your like ideal kind of kind of client? What, what who are you most passionate about coaching? Um, I have quite a good mix to be fair. I have a lot of strength athletes, um, but from various different sports, or just athletes in general. I've got quite a few runners and triathletes, things like that. It started off mainly powerlifters because I started it when I was powerlifting, so that became my market. Um, but now I have a lot of people who are just like general gym goers and it's quite a big mix. I do enjoy working with athletes, especially those who in weight classes, just because it's quite interesting to see how the bodies react to different ways of cutting and then building the calories back up and how the strength works with that. And sort of, It's a bit of a challenge to find ways that works for them that they can stick to. It works mentally and also they can achieve what the goal is. Brilliant. So, um, te- will you uh, explain to us what ATP is? No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I fucking told you about that. Um, I expected something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was only joking. Um, we, 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 we talked about this um, when we were chatting on Messenger or whatever, and we were say- we both agreed that how important it is through the podcast that we- what me and Shane try and do is try and give people practical layman's terms, things that they can go and implement rather than the sciency and baffling people with bullshit, basically. Yeah, I didn't want it to be like a science lesson that no one can relate to and yeah, just exactly. feel a bit pointless. Like, like we, basically, we, we want to milk some information out of you that people can just go and go and apply, basically. So um, one of the... Well, one of the do you use... I've seen you use people like... Is it, do you do the... Is it reverse dieting? But... Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want to know about. T- tell us about reverse dieting. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> so I've read a bit, but no one who's ever... And how, how could reverse... Reverse dieting help me and Shane as athletes. It's, a, it's quite an interesting topic and some of it almost doesn't make sense, almost defies science. And I've only really got to know how it works just by putting it into practice. Like you can write loads about it and read loads about it, but it's different for everyone. Um, the way I'll do it usually is, let's say for example, I've got a 63 kilo or 65 kilo girl who needs to cut for the 63s and she's on 2000 calories maintaining and finish a cut on 1700 calories. She can't go back to the 2000 because she'll regain the weight. So what I'll do is I'll increase it slowly. Um, 
it varies the amount you'll do it by for everyone. So it can vary from 40 calories a week to 100 calories a week. Usually the lighter you are, the smaller the jump. Um, but if you start to gradually increase this, it seems like the body adapts. So I've got clients from like 1,700 to 2,500 within half a kilo of the body weight that they were at the lowest. There's sometimes some fluctuations, um, obviously just by food volume and things like that. Um, but they tend to usually stay within about a kilo of a start body weight. But if they stick to it, it works to the point where they can get between 500 and 1,000 calories higher. But it's something I've done with myself. Because um, before I got into lifting, I did lots of shit diets. I'd starve myself and binge eat. And I was 52 kilos at one point eating probably under 1,000 calories a day. Um, so I started to build that up gradually, build a bit of muscle mass, which also helps with the amount of calories you consume. Um, but every time I cut for a comp, I'll build back up. So I might cut down to about 2,500 calories for a comp. But then within about 10 weeks or something, I can be back up to the 3,000 mark and maintaining close to comp weight if I'm not a fat shit. By the way, for, for like, say, hopefully we can get, get to some more ladies and stuff listening to this podcast. But to me, that sounds like a fucking hell of a lot of calories for... Um, I was going to say that's what most blokes will uh, be eating at 90 kilo, isn't it? For a girl your size. So, so for the guys listening, like, because um, by the way, um, I've got, got some people who are, who are interested in uh, the coaching, some uh, guys who want to get from 90 to under 80. Um, and basically they know how to do it. They know how yeah. they're going to do it. They've made 80 before, but basically they want to ideally work with you so they can do it gradually eating as much as possible basically yeah. um, I think most people don't know how to do it and it's something like you only really learn when you put it into practice and um, it doesn't really make sense like sometimes I don't know why it works well I know how to do it but I don't necessarily know why it actually works I just know that it does how do you go down the calories though Shannon do you, do you creep down weekly as well or will you like say 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 the say that guy that Josh said 90 kilo guy he's eating 3,000 calories at 90 kilos and then he wants to get to 80 will you will you gradually drop him or do like a 500 calorie? by the way by the way shannon so this is this is the twins right they're doing worlds next november yeah. supposedly if it's on whatever uh they're 90 ish now they they cut for under 80 uh, um to attempt deadlift world record at christmas looks and like two barbells they look, <laughs> <laughs> look like a pair of deadlift bars um they, they look disgusting um <laughs> <laughs> but they want to do they want to do it more gradually and, and obviously feel feel, a, feel as good as possible that way when, when, they, when they do it. Um, so, so you, you use them as the example as the case as the case study. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say they were on three thousand and they were maintaining that and that was actually their maintenance because some people said that but they've never tracked the calories before so they don't actually know. Um, I'd probably start on maybe about 2,800 and see how the weight is dropping. Usually I'll get them to weigh daily to start with just to get an idea of the rate of loss and, and how the body fluctuates. But depending on the client, they can reduce this to once a week or however they're comfortable with it, just so in terms of the mental part of it. Um, once this starts to stall out, if weight doesn't, the average weight for a week doesn't change at all or goes up, I might drop around 100, maybe 150 calories and then just do the same process and keep monitoring it, get to know how they fluctuate in and ask them some questions about, say the weight's gone up uh, 300 grams from a previous day, look into the food for that day, what they did, um, why it could have potentially gone up and the things we can do to get it dropping. Um, I'd usually look at the steps as well, if they can track the steps, just because you can increase that and 
burn a decent amount of calories without really affecting training or energy levels. Um, but training is a thing I'll monitor, ask questions about when the weight's dropping just to make sure it's not affecting the strength or the energy levels. If it is, I'll usually add in some carb refeed days, which they might be 100, 200 calories more than what they're having or roughly what I'd guess at the maintenance calories. Um, but I drop protein a little bit, drop fat quite low and then have the rest of it carbs because um, that tends to help with the training. And it also um, boosts the leptin levels. So I can actually help to drop quite a bit away. I've got a few clients who I do that and the next day they're down about 800, um, 800 grams from the previous day just because the body responds well to the high carbs. Hmm. so once twins got to let's say 82 or something yeah would you want them to water cut the last two or would you go all the way to 80 it depends it depends how the training's been going how they feel how lean they actually are and um, if the calories have got quite low i'd usually get them to manipulate it with a water load um what my main question is that i'm trying to say that i've explained shitly is you said that once you got them low, you like gradually increased them. And then yeah. sometimes they ended up on like quite a lot of calories and not going up much scale weight. So would the goal be to get someone to go into a comp whilst they're like increasing the calories almost? So they're feeling. Yeah. Well, usually I will try and get them to comp weight or close enough to comp weight as far out as possible so that we can increase the calories. Um, if you've been cutting for a while, some people actually respond quite well to the calorie increase to the point they actually carry on dropping weight. I've had a few female clients who've dropped an extra five kilos and the calories have gone up by like 500 over 10 weeks or so. So that is something that could happen. It's hard to know the first time around because I've never worked with them before. I don't know if the body's going to respond, but it's something we'd probably try if we could get close, maybe within two kilos of comp weight, um, maybe five or six weeks out and then gradually increase, see how they respond to that. And then we've always got the water load as a last resort if the weight doesn't drop as we increase the calories. Is it, um, knowing that, knowing those two really well, they would prefer to, whereas if like, say you were coaching me to maximize what I could eat and make weight at 90, for instance, like I'd probably say for next year, for worlds next year, I'll probably want to be 93 ish or something. And then I know that I can make weight the week, 93 the week before. And I yeah. know that I can make weight really well, feel really good. Whereas with these two, they'd prefer to be bang on the weight and not have to like, and just eat normally the last week. That's yeah. what they've done before. Um, Usually no. someone was within a kilo, kilo and a half, they could probably still eat normally and do a basic water cut. But most yeah. people would get on within like the 90, um, 80 point something range so that you can just manipulate that with a water cut, but you could probably give them a carb refeed within that week as well. Cool. And I suppose actually thinking about like, say using that scenario where it would be a 24 hour weigh in, that'll be a little bit different to say same day weigh in, wouldn't it? Because because obviously they could, they've got the opportunity to be like compete, compete at 83, 84, potentially the next next day with refeeding. Without yeah, with a 24 hour weigh in, it'd be a lot easier to well stay heavier, um, even yeah. if it's a bit of a shitty water cut, because you can rehydrate and refuel quite easily within the 24 hours. 
what's your advice to athletes then going into something like that? Would you do you leave it up to them? Like, do you want to water cut or do you want to walk in on weight or do you tell them like what you prefer for performance? I'll usually speak to them about it, um, but it also depends how the cut's gone because some might get to the point where they feel like they can't cut the calories anymore or it'll affect the training, but they've got another two kilos to lose. And it's like, that's made a decision for us. We've got to water cut it. Um, but if they're doing well, I will try and get them to comp weight or even just slightly below just so they've got a bit of room to play with. Yeah. Also then after comp, we've got a bit of leeway in terms of building up, adding a little bit of muscle mass. Um, which would make another cut easier or stay within a few kilos of comp weight anyway and just do the water cut. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So um, you mentioned water cut. What yeah. kind of protocol would you would you recommend for somebody, say, who's 83, 84 kilos and they want to make under 80 and they're, they're 84 kilos 10 days out? Yeah. What, what protocol um, would, you, would you use or recommend? I'd usually, from five days out, I'd probably start the water cut. Um, depending on the weight, it, let's say the middleweight guy, um, probably around seven litres a day, six to seven litres a day, depending on how much you've got to cut, probably seven, but I would salt load for the first three days. Um, so I'd probably an extra three grams of salt compared to your normal daily intake. Um, then from two days out, I would put salt back to a normal intake. One day out, salt would be very low, so be low two grams for the whole day. So your water would start at seven litres and would be the same up until one day before, which I'd drop to one and a half to two, depending on what you, how your weight's actually responded. But sometimes you don't actually need to cut the water as much as you might think, because your weight tends to come down with the salt manipulation and the higher water anyway. Um, if they were still quite heavy, then I'd look at carb manipulation. We're trying to keep the calories the same, but I'd increase the fats and proteins, so the carbs are lower, um, just because glycogen's um, stored carbs will hold some water. It's around three grams of water per gram of stored carbs. So you could probably lose close to a kilo just from depleting your carb stores. If you've got a 24 hour weigh in, then it's something we could do quite easily. But if it's a um, two hour weigh in, then I wouldn't want to go down that route unless it got to a point it was absolutely necessary and the only way to make weight. Cool. So what, what mistakes do you see people making when, when they're making weight and they feel like shit and they've fucked it and you see so many people at like weight class comps where they're just like, oh, it's such an ordeal. Like, like A lot of people leave it too long. Like They'll be a bit shit with the cutting from 10 weeks out because they know they've got ages. And they might lose a bit of weight, but then they'll have a few shitty weekends and regain it. And then it's like two, three weeks out and they've still got eight kilos to lose. So you've just got to have a drastic cut. Um, and also people get too heavy. And I think it's one of the big mistakes a lot of people in weight classes make is after comp, they just pile on the weight and then they've got to do a cut every time. And each time, because your body's adapting, each time the cut gets a bit harder and a bit harder. So you get to the point where your body will just not respond and you're just not making weight. So you've got to do horrible carb manipulations and water cuts. I remember a couple of years ago when uh, when uh, Molly was doing the uh, the under sixty three qualifier that she was entered in, and she was like fucking. I'm sure she was 70, 72 kilos a week out, and she was like, no, I'll, just, "I'll just water cut, water cut it." And she she was like, went to the sauna, uh, went to the sauna the day, and she was in there all day. She was in there all fucking day. It was crazy. And like she was like shaking and shit. It was it was dis it was absolute disgrace. And wait, wait, did she? No, did she fuck? Oh, did she not? 
She weighed in at like 64 or something, or 63.8, so she didn't make weight. Yeah, but... I remember, yeah, I remember, yeah. But to me, I was like thinking, fair fucking play, because I remember that comp actually, because that's mad, that cut. Yeah, that You've was done some mad ones as well, though. Yeah, yeah, I've, d- I've done some mad ones, but I've... What do you two think about people's individual response to waterloading? Because I've been helping people walk up for fucking years. And some, and obviously it's hard to say because you tell them what to do and they say they do it, but you don't actually know, you know, if they did it to the letter. But for me, I always like when someone does the first water cut, I always like to have a plan A, B and C because sometimes people lose a shitload of weight, like you said, Shannon, on the actual water loading part mm. so when it comes to cut the water you're almost like oh well we don't really need to now you kind of made weight and other people sometimes don't lose that much during the load and then they piss loads out and i know for a fact when i water cut i i lose quite steadily from the load but then if i do the um most people say to stop drinking the day before weighing so say weighing was saturday morning they'll stop like six o'clock on Friday. But I actually stop on Thursday night now. And that works so much better for me because I just piss all Friday. Whereas if I stop at Friday night at six o'clock, say, I still feel like my body's trying to flush water out and I've not given it enough time. So um, I just, I've just found over the years, everyone seems to just react different to that kind of flushing. I don't know what you think. I feel like I don't pee as much in the final day, even when I've done it right with salt and everything. Like, not that much needs to come out, but by that point, I've always made weight anyway. Um, but I find with most clients that they tend to make close to weight without actually cutting it. Some fuck up the salt side of it because I give them an amount and they don't actually track the salt. They think things are low in salt. Like, it's like, oh, I had a tin of tuna, that's low in salt. It's like, but it's not. It's really high in salt. You've not actually checked for it. So I think that's one of the things that people make the mistake with, especially when the salt's supposed to be low so that they start peeing out. They end up having high salt and then they just store all the extra water. Yeah. I, personally, I, I think that um, people people should practice it and just get the, um, like, do a comp that's, the, that's quite important. You need to make weight for, but it's not make or break. You could go, like... Like basically, don't don't do your first water cut and like a big cut, you know, for Arnold or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly for a comp that really matters to you, and like, and and be complacent with it, and don't just think if you've never done it before, and you're like, say, a ninety kilo guy, and you've just thought you've just like listened to the podcast and thought, oh, fucking Josh and Shane have done it from ninety seven to ninety. I'll just do that. What they said, like, it's probably not going to work, and well, for a lot of people. Um, so you've just got to kind of know, learn your own boundaries. And I've learned that for me, same day weighing 93 kilos, if I can be 93 kilos in the couple of weeks before, like I feel amazing. Um, but again, I've done worse for me. I, I hate, I don't like water cutting. I just don't agree with it for my, my body. I don't mean like personally, but my body does not get on with a water cut and competing on the same day. So even if I cut two or three kilo, I just feel like I'm just, I'd cramp. Like, no matter how much salt I have, how much, just whatever, I've tried fucking everything. I just start cramping after for a comp. It's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. It's 24 hours. Um, My body's fine. I just feel like I need that sleep. It's weird. I'm like, as soon as I sleep and wake up, it's like everything resets. It's proper weird. Yeah, that that's what um, 
Yeah, that, that's what I feel like. And that's why I used to do it from like night six, night seven. I thought, oh, I can walk, cut it. And then I just kind of got used to feeling a bit shit at comps and that. Whereas actually now I'm just like a smaller person. Like, I'm fine with it. I look, I look a bit weird, like with fucking you know, any muscles or anything. But like, I just, just feel so much, I just feel so much better being closer to the weight for me. Like I'll, I'll weigh myself after like Friday, Friday afternoon session. I'll be like 90 anyway. I'll be like 90.5 yeah. or something. I think or the stress can affect a lot of people as well. Say again. Because Sorry. I think sure. the stress can affect a lot of people as well because they're not sure if they'll make weight and you're not always convinced of what a cut will work. So you start stressing about it, but then that starts to affect your actual fat loss as well if you're still cutting. So I think that plays a big part for quite a few people. Yeah. It's weird not water cutting into a comp because usually um, all I think about is making weight. I don't think about the comp. <laughs> and then when you make weight, you're like, oh, shit, I've got to do this comp. <laughs> um, what do you do, Shannon? Do you water cut or do you, do you diet down? Because I'm pretty sure I've seen you just diet down. Don't you? Um, well, I sit quite comfortably around the 64 mark. If I'm actually being quite strict with my diet, which is still like 3,000 calories, I'll maintain 64 to 64 and a half. Um, and then I'll do a water load from there. But I tend to get to 63 just with a higher water. And then on the final day, I'll cut it a bit, but like three litres to a normal amount, and I'll carve up just because I've got a bit of room to play with. By the minute, I'm 63.8, so I'll probably just increase my water to about five or six litres and then carve up on the final day. Yeah. Is 63, would you say, a good weight class for you then? Yeah, Um I used to maintain quite comfortably under 63, so it was always perfect. Like I'd, I'd have to eat a lot to maintain 63. I'd usually be 62-ish, 62 and a half. Um, the only time I've struggled is for Arnold's, which was the worst cut I've ever had. Like nothing was working. I couldn't understand why at the time, but I was on the contraceptive pill, which I wasn't on previously, and it just seemed to absolutely fuck everything up. Like on two and a half thousand calories, my weight wasn't dropping. Dave, and that was, and that was because of that lad with dodgy trainers. Anyway, my weight wasn't dropped. I got to a point where I was on like 2,000 calories and it was still barely dropping. So I had to do quite a big water cut with that. Um, and I, I think I peed like 28 times on the journey there. It was a nightmare. But I got down to weight and it was fine. I managed to actually have a bit of a carb up. Um, but it's 24 hour weigh in, so that was fine. But that's the only time it's actually been a struggle. And I considered potentially going up a weight class but I feel like it's too big of a jumping strong one if I was powerlifting like the 72s which is another 69s would be okay um but I'm never going to be in close to 82 kilos even That's I'm what I'm getting at, some, some girls are in that fucking stuck in the middle boat aren't they where they're yeah I'm too short to be that heavy yeah. so plus I just get fat and that's not going to help my performance anyway especially with like moving events yeah because I know Anna that um I used to coach she was always like seven, like 70, I think, or 71, but yeah. 63 is like a bit too much of a cut. And 82s, <clears throat> you know, technically she's a bit too small for it. But it was weird because I always found that the 82, I haven't followed it for a little bit, but the 82 class, a lot of the top girls were actually 70 ish, 75. Yeah. Um, from what I'd seen anyway. And then there was um, a, f- a few cutting down to it, but not that many. So I always thought to myself, why is there not a. Uh, I know it's not that big a sport, that's probably why, but 
you know, I think there should be a middle ground weight class. Someone said there used to be like a 75s but they stopped it so it was all in line with the Arnold because the 75 girls either had to cut or gain weight but I don't know if oh, that's Is true. that what it is? Right, okay. I, I need to probably be a reason behind it if that's the American weight classes but yeah. Yeah. I think more, a lot of 63, a lot of the international 63s tend to sit around like 70 kilos and cut to 63 which I find crazy like cutting like 10% of your body weight for a comp, like the day you're supposed to be your absolute strongest and you've had to cut that much weight, it can't, it can't help your performance at all. It's weird, the Americans seem to, uh, I don't know, I don't know what it is, I mean, people used to tell me it was the wrestling and stuff that they used to do in school that they've been water cutting for years, but um, some of the guys that I'd competed against internationally, they're fucking big. Like, they just, like, I remember when I did the Arnold's under 80s and there were some guys there that were, like, 94 the next day. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how are you so big? And then on the second day, they're, like, nearly 100 kilos in the under 80 class. I was oh, like, yeah. right. they're just crazy in water cream. So I don't know if it's the same for the girls that, you know, they're just used to, I don't know, just maybe it's just more, you know, 10, 20 pounds over there seems to be a pretty not really exaggerated water cut someone goes oh, i've got 20 pounds to cut i'll just walk with it like casually i'm like what the fuck it will kill me so it's, it's a weird one i guess i guess you get used to how your body responds and each time if you're a bit heavier you learn how to push it a bit more but there's going to be like a breaking point where it has a massive hindrance to your performance um i wouldn't want to be much over like three or four kilos of my weight class but i struggle to gain weight to be fair i think the heaviest i've been actually like maintained was 66 i've been 67 after like being on holiday and eating a lot of shit that I just couldn't eat all the time. But I struggle to get much over 66. Also, like, you don't gain muscle fast, so there's no need to jump from 63 to 70 kilos after a comp because you're just adding fat, and it's not going to really help your performance. Yeah, people often forget that they, uh, that muscle is, like, it actually does stuff. It takes a while for your body <laughs> to add it to your frame. And they go, oh, fucking put six kilo on, and, and I look jacked. And I'm like, well, you're just full of glycogen and you've got some fat stores now that probably sit in a little nicer than they used to. Um, and you're probably going to lose some of that muscle mass having to cut the fat anyway. Yeah, because I don't know what it is, but I always think that, I don't know what the science is, you might know this actually, but I don't know what it is, but it seems to be that when people cut weight, when they like add the fat back on, it redistributes slightly different, and sometimes they can think that they've gained this shoulder mass. And I'm talking about guys here, by the way, I've not really done it with many girls, but... Mm. They seem to like redistribute the, the, the fat, like instead of around the belly and love handles and lower back and stuff, maybe it goes around the chest and delts and they think they're, uh, think they're jacked. Um, but it's just the fat's redistributed a little bit differently. What, do you think that can happen or not? Yeah, but I, I've noticed it more in guys, but guys are on gear. But then I don't know if it corresponds more with the gear cycle than it does because also they come, the finished comp and usually come off or cruise or something. So I don't know if it's more to do with the hormone changes rather than anything else. Yeah, that's what that's what I thought. Is that Hixie? <laughs> I wasn't looking at the camera and then he just fucking popped up. <laughs> How is everyone all right? Yeah, that's well. What do you mean? Cutting weight for uh, 105 Sierra yeah, Dortmund. <laughs> no, really. Hixie used to be on the... Fuck it, what was it? You're on four or five chicken breasts and them scrambled egg, uh, them homemade few youngs. That was what it was for uh, 105. I, I, I don't know. I did it. I used, to, I used to go, yeah, all day just eating chicken breast. Uh, I didn't really know much about nutrition. So and back then, like, it's, it isn't like it is now where you've got everything at your fingertips. So I just got told one day by a guy to cut weight. He fucking ate, like, broccoli for breakfast. 
and then ate like chicken breast all day and had like scrambled eggs. So I did that for like six weeks, literally without eating anything else. And I made weight for my shows by doing that. Because I think for my last 105 comp, I was 118. And I used to cut weight. What do you weigh now? 159. <laughs> Let's say just swap the eight and the one around and you'd be... Fighting <laughs> fit now, though. I'm good. So, so you tell us about uh, prepping for Worlds and how's that going? Yeah, it's been going really well. Um, it's just a bit of a shock. How many reps you get on that 180 stone? Well, not enough. I need 15. Did he, did he say 12? Yeah, one and then a two. Well, I thought you said, I thought you went well, uh, and then you were going to continue. <laughs> you didn't continue, so I was like, I must have said 12. So, so in the last 10 days, I've done like a 320 squat for 10, a 145 log for 10, and then a 180 stone for 12. <laughs> you know, I've like, I've gone from basically not liking reps to having to accept it and doing all right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been fun. I, I, um, I just got to accept that I need to be fit again. And an athlete isn't about just lifting some at once. So I've quite enjoyed it actually. Now I've broke broke the back of it all. I'm I'm enjoying it again. So how many calories did you put Hixie on, Shannon? <laughs> I'd have no idea until I actually had more data from him, really. Usually I'd get people to track something first. The worst person and the worst client you can have. Vicky, <laughs> um, you know Vicky. I can't remember her name. Vicky Titan, Tiny Titan. I don't even know. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I, I forgot you getting. You got a tiny Titan, haven't you? Forgot about that. This is maybe Friday. You've not filled your form in. You've not done anything. Have you tracked anything? I'm like, no. I can't imagine you would. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's always needed for people who aren't in weight classes. Or if you get an idea of what you need to eat in terms of protein, you don't need to be that meticulous. This is it. Like, I, I will need advice over food uh, around the training. Oh, Shannon's yeah. really good at that. And, and she's helped me. Like, it's, it's really simple what it's done, and it's I'm happy. Outside of that, as long as I don't get any heavier and I don't get fat, then I'm happy. And, you know, I'm... I've just, I've, I've tried to stick to it, but it's like maybe 80%, 90% I'm sticking to it. But then I, I think for bigger guys, it's more about guidelines of how to eat rather than being meticulous with tracking because it's just not needed and it's added stress that you don't really need to focus on that much. I see other, other people that like a wither and they're like, they're out eating and they'll text to the menu of where, I'm like, what? I'm having dominoes now. It's just normal. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, at the end of the day, if your training is going well and you're recovering, and you're feeling good. I, I you're not going to fill a form out telling her you ate five chicken nuggets on Monday or whatever. Are you? You're just going to crack. My output now is is massive in terms of what it used to be. Um, when I competed in the powerlifting show, when I went to Australia, I weighed exactly the same way I did now. When I was I was in a bad way. You know, like I actually feel in my body now that I could go and have a decent game of five a side. You know, like I feel like I'm a feet. God, don't be doing that. Ex <laughs> you know, like given you've lost weight or if you've got fitter, you get a spring in your step. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That's how I feel like I've got a spring in my step again. And, uh, yeah. That's what I feel like when I come off trend. By, by the way, he's coming here. He's pissed up, by the way. I'm not joking. <laughs> he's pissed up. <laughs> Do you think of whiskey? Yeah, Is that your nutrition plan? <laughs> Whiskey and deadlifts. <laughs> so we're, we're meant to be having a meal at Barbar. Uh, 
we obviously got all these stupid rules, so I said everyone go to the gym. Bit of a step down the meal in the broom room, isn't it? But it'll do. <laughs> but yeah, I tore my calf. Have you seen the picture? You tore your calf? Yeah. yeah. How? Chuck pump. In what? Chuck pump. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, have a look at my Instagram story. No, I've not seen it. I've not been on Instagram today. I've been fucking flying around Trafford Centre eating sushi, to be honest. I've been, I've been stubborn as shit. I've just carried on training, so... Uh, I'm going to have, like, five days rest now. But it's sore now, actually. <laughs> I won't lie. It's fucking sore. But I'm going to let you go anyway. I just couldn't help. I could hear you chinwagging. I was like, I can hear Shane. He's in here. <laughs> Special guest appearance. <laughs> so Shannon, I've got two um two questions from my mum actually. Well, I've got two questions from my mum. One's for Shannon, one's for Shane. Shane, don't let me forget. Um don't let me get distracted. So uh, Shannon, my mum was asking if there's Basically, she likes, um, she likes, um, she thinks that, that, that like people over a certain age should get like special treatment because of the, oh, well, I'm, I'm over, oh, my recovery is not as good, all this, what I think about. Anyway, um, but she's saying anything, any kind of nutrition would, would, how would like nutrition, having a nutrition coach help potentially help her recovery for a lifting and life in general, being a lady over 50. Do you see any difference between people of a certain age or do you just treat everybody the same? And I think one of the big things I see with older people is that, especially women, they've done a lot of shit diets in the past. So the body's a bit fucked up from all of that. So a reverse diet, which we talked about, is one of the things that would be benefiting, um, especially if they're not in a weight class. So they'd have to worry about cutting or anything like that. But also, for most people like that, I'd probably recommend having some blood tests done as soon as there's any vitamin or mineral deficiencies. That's a big thing that people tend to ignore and think, oh, I eat all right, like everything's going to be fine. But nine times out of ten, it's not. And that's something that would make a massive difference, especially something like vitamin D, where pretty much everyone in the UK ends up being deficient unless they supplement with it. Um, so that should be a focus of pretty much anyone, but it will make a massive difference to your training because if you're deficient, you're going to be massively fatigued and it's going to affect your recovery. Um, so just little things like that can make a difference that don't really require that much effort, just like taking a supplement. Brilliant. Um, and Shane, the question what the question to ask you, she asked me to ask you, was uh, uh, have you got any weed? Can you get her any weed? Boy, he's got weed. <laughs> she, she said, uh, ask Shane if he can get me any weed um, because I'm panicking if we go into lockdown or something. She was saying that. <laughs> anyway, this is a different conversation. I'll, uh, I might edit this out. I might not. <laughs> right, anyway. I'll bring us some on Friday, Josh. Tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow, yeah. Right, ne next thing. Um, so, anyway, let's, let's change the topic. To change the topic a little bit. No, in fact, Shannon, to finish off on the nutrition element, um, like how how can people get, get if people are interested from listening to this, like how can they get in contact with you? You say you've got a 
your waiting list? What does that mean exactly and how can yeah, people... um, Well, all my stuff's on my website, which is www.shannonsnutrition.com. Um, I've, I've a few different types of plans. My main one's called the Ongoing Nutrition Plan, which I am fully booked on that. I have a waiting list, which is around four weeks. It depends when people leave. Um, but I also offer what I call a one-off plan for people on the waiting list. So I'll set the macros for a full four weeks and recommend any changes, when they should make the changes, what they need to look out for in order to make the changes, um, recipes to fit it, supplement advice, things like that. So basically the initial part of the ongoing plan, I'll set in advance for four weeks, which is a bit cheaper um, for 30 pounds while they're on the waiting list. Wow. And then once the spot becomes available, um, we'll work through it where we can tailor things a bit more and look at the day-to-day -day so tracking. So for 30 pounds, people can get the ball rolling with you and get some... Yeah like some basic accountability and some guidance and direction and stuff. Yeah. Is that just macros and stuff, Shannon? Or do you set like, uh, do you have like, you mentioned recipes, so do you have like some kind of like something you give people to? Yeah, with, with that I give recipes, which is aimed towards the macros. So I'll give like probably about 10 different breakfast, lunch, um, pre-workout, post-workout recipes. Um, just, just a bit of a guideline for how to hit the macros. Awesome, that's, that's fucking, that's cheap. Yeah. Superb. Um, so just an idea for, for you, like if you have, um, f so following on from this podcast, like if you have any kind of, I don't know, like maybe a recipe idea or maybe some kind of thing that you could give to the listeners as a little bit of a sample or something, you could just tag us in it on Instagram and we'll share it and you could make, I don't know, yeah, yeah. If, you have a, if you have any ideas or whatever. So people, you know, like a few people will be listening to this and thinking, oh shit, I wouldn't, like the thirty pound thing sounds really good for getting my foot in the door. Like people who are like in like contemplating dipping the toe in the water, if you will, with it. Uh, yeah, I think just maybe maybe giving them a little bit of a sample could be could be could be good of maybe what to thinking expect. about doing it. Just chuck a thirty quid because it sounds fucking class. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, ridiculous value, isn't it? So yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, that's really yeah, because yeah, most people for that you're just getting macros and stuff, aren't you? You're not fucking ten breakfasts and ten lunches and shit. So I think it sounds, I think it sounds alright to me. Yeah, cool. That that sounds really good. Um, so let's move on to the kind of final main topic then. Um, so obviously me, me, me and Shane talk about like coaching a lot, and what I think Shane and I are quite similar in terms of the fact that we're really passionate about coaching like people who are more advanced, like say intermediate to kind of elite level, um, kind of lifters and athletes and kind of relate to that kind of mindset really well. Um, can you, so obviously we, we, we've been working together a couple of months or something, haven't we? Like with the, yeah. the coaching and the programming and stuff. Um, could you just talk a little bit about, not necessarily about me, but like about how having a coach, because you're a bit reluctant at first, you're a bit sceptical in terms of you, I think you're a bit worried and like a bit worried about, well, you tell me, what, what, what were your reservations and like how is it in reality? Like, well, for like probably about 90% of my lifting career I've coached myself so I've got an idea of what works for me and I lost my head with a bit through lockdown and wasn't sure I wanted to carry on competing um but I think it was just the stress of everything and picking my own numbers and coaching myself which started to get to me but then the idea of taking someone on to be my coach I felt like I knew what I wanted to do going forward and they might just give me something either generic or 
something they think would work, but I know it hasn't in the past. Um, so I didn't really want to put it in someone else's hands. But us having the conversation of what I wanted to do, what you thought would work, and finding a mix of that worked really well. Um, I think the main thing that I like is that usually if I set myself something, and partway through my session or the number of sets, I start to get a bit tired or a bit achy or something, I think maybe I set myself too much, like maybe I'll drop it down a bit. Whereas if you've done it, it's like, well, he set it, it's achievable, I need to just crack on and do it. So I think when it's myself, I don't know if I'm pushing myself enough, not enough, or I'm just... I'm doing way too much and just asking for an injury kind of thing. Um, whereas when someone else sets it, it's just that sort of questioning that tends to go. And it does make it a bit easier. I can just focus on the session and do the numbers I've been set. Cool. So so how has it been in terms of like, say, because obviously a big worry was, was like, what if, say, say for instance, I'd have set you something that's like, and you just think, fucking hell, that's, that's like way off. Like, it's just just seems ridiculous or or just seems like something that's plucked out of the sky that doesn't have relevance or whatever like how have how have we avoided that um well obviously we, we've talked a lot about numbers what i've done and things like that but i also think if you've set something even if i think oh it's a bit hard like i like the challenge of it which if i've set it myself i might be doubting whether it's actually achievable but to see you've set it, it's like, oh, he thinks I can probably do it. So it just sort of spurs me on and gives me a bit more motivation for it, which I quite like. Yeah. But the, the key thing as well, as a coach, is to understand that the athlete, because I've coached loads of blood. I've got a guy at the moment called Amar. And he only started Monday, but he's uh, pretty much trained himself up to now. And he's got a 245 bench at 99 kilo. He's like a bench only specialist. So he's basically got the best bench for his body weight in the UK. Well, it, it, I think he actually has the record. He does have the best bench in the UK for his body weight. So the first thing I asked him is, well, how do you train? Well, what have you done for the last 10 years? And he told me exactly how he trained. And then I used that model to, and just edited it a bit. I didn't go, oh, I don't care how you train. This is my program. There you go. Be because he obviously has built his bench and he has learned how over time to build his bench. And there's the method to it. And same with your lifting is, you obviously know what you're doing. So you want like guidance with the kind of stuff you know works rather than a fresh new plan and just not even asking you what you've done to get there. And that's what obviously Josh has done. Yeah, well, that that is like exactly what we've done, wasn't it? Like, yeah. like for, for, honestly, I'm be, being completely honest now, right? That like, I did loads of typing up and it took, took a while, right? And, and all I did for week one, was I just typed up fucking Shannon's notes. I just typed up like exactly what you said you wanted to do. Yeah, so like a big essay of the things I had planned. Yeah, but, but the thing is, like even just asking you the question as the athlete, right, Shannon, what, what have you been doing? What, what do you want to do? Like, how do you think you're going to get there? And actually getting you to think about it and lay it all out. And I know you do that anyway and you, you plan and stuff, but... But 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 then just just writing that out, and then there was like just over the course of the weeks, there's been like I've I've thought when I first wrote that out, I thought I want to change that 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 and that, but like I what I think what what I needed to do was was like patiently build up the trust with you, and like basically get you just basically get you consistent with your own thing that you're already yeah. going to do anyway and get you and back. Got to get her brain like buying into it. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then there was like, there's like one or two things. And I say, Oh, Shannon, 
should we try this in there? Because I think it'll work because of X, Y, Z. And you've been like, yeah, let's give it a go. And then you've gone and done it. And then you felt good after it, or you've thought, or you've seen the relevance or it's made you think and you've thought, yeah, actually that, that could be a good way to go. And then we do it for a couple of weeks and you see the progression or whatever. And my, my point is, is like what, what I think that, a co- that we've talked about it loads before on this is like a coach and athlete. Instead of just thinking if you if someone out there is going to get a coach, like if a coach is just giving you something that's just fucking just already written, already written out, it's not coaching. It is not coaching. Like it, it's got to be from it's in my opinion, coaching has got to be athlete centered. It's got to be like, say when I'm coaching you, it's about you and it's yeah. about sprinkling my, some of my expertise and stuff and some of the, some of the stuff that has worked or whatever with other clients and stuff, sprinkling that in over time, patiently and building, building that up. And I think where a lot of co- coaches go wrong is just fucking trying to make the athlete fit their system rather than making the system fit the athlete. Yeah, yeah that's a- become really generic as well when we do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you, Sh- Shane, like you, you must see it with like, say, say over the years, over the t- over time, you, you must think, all oh, right, fucking hell, like I've got, say, this freak who's like an absolute, absolute lifting ridiculous weights and they're asking me to like get him to the next level or whatever. Like, like, like what, what you've, you've go on, talk about it, Shane. I'm just fucking around. Well, yeah. So basically it's just like, like, like you said, they've, they've got to this level, they're a freak, whatever. And I just look at it like, how have you got there? And obviously sometimes you get someone who's just an absolute fucking mom and you're like, how the fuck have you got there? Like, I wonder how far he's going to go with some proper structure. And yeah, I will completely restructure his training and just say it's fucking dog shack, mate. Uh, and I'll tell him, honestly, and they'll usually be like, oh, awesome. You know, I've got this new plan. This looks fresh, etc." And they get mad gains. But other times, they'll tell me their plan. And they'll be like, I always do this assistance because I just know it helps this lift. Or I always do this. Or I can't deadlift the day after squats. Or, you know, whatever it is. So obviously I'm not going to go and give them a heavy deadlift after a heavy squat session or whatever, because they've just literally told me that does not work and that they've got to this advanced level. So it's like you say, it's just like, like what you're saying about Shannon's first week, like Tom, you follow Tom Gleason. He's got an awesome squat of 90 kilo yeah. strong man. He squatted 284 today. Message me. Uh, next, next squat session, Shane, I want to do 300 for two. And then I want to take 320 the week after like he literally just wrote his program for me because I know in his brain he's zoned in on those numbers and he wants them. And if I think he's only capable of 290 for two and I write 290 for two, he's going to put 300 kilo on the bar because he's focused on it. Um, so it's just, like I say, it's just kind of getting that relationship with them, learning how they work and just sprinkling in some of your things that you've learned on top. And the only thing I do where I take full control is if sometimes I'm like, no, you need to go lighter, mate, or you need to pull back. That's kind of, if I feel like there's something coming, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you can just tell that there's something that's going to happen soon. So I'll just say, no, I want you to just pull back a little bit. We'll take that next week. Uh, so that's kind of my goal is to try and almost almost rein people back sometimes rather than push them forward because in the long run, that means they'll, they'll get stronger over time. Yeah. But I suppose, I suppose like as a coach, like, 
you've got to, it's just like anything else, isn't it? It's like, you've got to fucking leave your own, like, ego at the door, haven't you, really? Like, I suppose, like, um, um, like, say, a few years ago, and you've got, like, say, this freak that you've taken on, hypothetically, like, before you're confident in, like, now, you just feel like, well, I don't need to, you don't feel pressured to impress anyone or like think, Oh, I don't need to impress my method because I know that my, that my system works. It's worked for X, Y, Z. Um, it's not going to work for everybody, but if we're going to, if we're a good fit, it is going to work. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're confident with your systems like you are Shannon with your nutrition stuff. You know that if it doesn't work for somebody, it's probably just not a good fit or it, it's them. It's like, yeah, like my, it's my personality as well. If people come to me for sympathy or empathy or whatever, I'm the type of coach that's just like, mate, I just shut up and do it. And some people like that. Other people hate it. So it's like, if you don't like that, you know, my blunt, straightforward talking personality, then we will clash because that is my coaching style as well. Like if you message me mid-session, like I'm about to do my squat and I, my knee's feeling a bit dodgy, what should I do? my reply will either be it'll be shut the fuck up and do it or don't do it but we're not going to have a 30 minute conversation about how bad your knee is and then make some advanced decision it's going to be it's your fucking choice it's in your hands if your knee's going to explode don't squat it if it's not shut the fuck up and just do it and send me a video i said that exact thing to james will before he pulled 325 because he's crying about his belt popped open or something he's like i'm not doing my session my belt fucking came off when I did my first pull. I can't. I failed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, shut the fuck up. You don't need a belt to pull three twenty five. Just stop being a little bitch. And then five minutes later, send me a video three twenty five. Four weeks later, pulls four hundred. Thanks me. Says I'm so glad I pulled that three twenty five. Um, we work really well together. Other people would. And, hate that stuff. and now he's got a t-shirt saying, "Stop being a little bitch." No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. It's just like personality. Coaches' personalities play a big role in stuff. And um, that's why I think, personally, that a lot of females get on with female coaches better because they, they just, from my experience anyway, they just tend to, I don't know, just have different conversations based upon things that happen rather than men. And by men, maybe I'm just talking about me. Yeah, I think I think that's quite interesting. Actually, an interesting topic. So, like, an- anecdotally, like being very, very general here and very um, kind of prejudice. I don't know. Um, but like, guys seem to respond better from um, from like having like almost a little bit of a competitive environment and saying, "Oh, well, change your stare. Shane's just pulled a deadlift PB over there. Come on, pull your finger out your ass. You you go and do something good." Yeah. Whereas women, you can, it's almost the same thing, but but it's very different in terms of the fact that they can... Um, Trying to say this without offending anyone, aren't you? <laughs> uh, like respond to a more supportive environment. Not like if, if you go and say, oh, uh, Shane's just put... Uh, Shane's just pulled a deadlift PB. You, you, sh- you should do the same. Come on, pull your finger out the ass. Like with the, with the woman, you'd probably get, um, in my experience, probably get more from it by, oh, come on, you've seen Shane go and pull his PB. You can do that too. Um, but by the way, I, I, I just think, I'm just, 
females because I reckon I don't I'm just literally chatting bollocks now but I reckon yeah. girls that are into like competing yeah I think it's very very different for like yeah. people who work I, I don't think there's as much a difference when you get into like the elite kind of level like, yeah because that elite level is just kind of like I think everyone's got a proper similar yeah like, like like I wouldn't say to Shannon oh so-and-so's done it you can do it too like <laughs> Like that, I don't think you. I was gonna say at a higher level. I think it's more like the guys. Like if yeah, I feel like exactly, I've had a shit session or something, I hate if someone's like, "Oh no, this has gone well. This is good." It's like I'd rather you just tell me I'm shit and I'll get better. So I'd rather not be mollycoddled to the point you tell me all the things yeah. that are good. It's like just tell me I'm shit. Yeah, I think I'm very much generalising stuff here. I don't, I don't. I mean, I work with a few, obviously, but my main client base is definitely male dominant. So um, I mean, I have quite a few. In, fa- in fact, I'm going, what I've just said, right. I've just realized that I've just fucking talked absolute bollocks there with uh, men and women. And I've just actually realized that I've never thought about it. And I think it's actually more to do with the, the kind of level that the say, say free. Yeah, that's what I was realizing as we were talking. I was just thinking, actually, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Like, like, actually, there's, there's probably guys who you train, Shane, who are really strong, well, pretty strong, but you know that they're never going to be pushing to, like, say, elite standard or whatever. And uh, they just like, they like competing for the sake of competing or whatever. They might be doing a few novice comps and they might do novice for four or five years or something, whatever, which is good. And they might be in that kind of bracket that I've just described about actually respond better to support of, well, so-and-so's just done that. You can do it too. And a bit more molly coddling. So I think it's definitely a, I think it's more down to interesting topic, isn't it? Like it's very uh, in depth, probably one for a whole podcast on it, to be honest. (laughs) So actually that thing that I've just retracted. So, um, that's the thing that I've actually believed for years and I've just realised now talking, getting it out and getting it out in the open that it's absolute fucking bollocks. Uh, but anyway, we're fucking off on a dungeon here. Um, yeah, sorry, Sean. We just sometimes <laughs> just chat absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we were saying about the... So, Shannon, what would you say to some people out there who are, right, say, doing well at, say, national standard or whatever strongman weight class strongman strongwoman whatever who have like got to that level that this they got to that really good level that themselves um but they've never they've always programmed themselves they never had a coach or whatever they've maybe reached a bit of a plateau and maybe the the thing that's stopping them is their own ego they're kind of thinking that oh i don't need a coach but it has kind of been planted in their mind. I don't even think it's ego though, Josh. I think it is. Like, take Shannon, she's trained for so long, got herself so far, it's a lot of trust to hand over that responsibility, I think. I don't think she's thinking, can I do it better? I think she's more thinking like, what if it's shit for six months and I've wasted six months? You know, yeah, you know, that's what I was thinking. Like, is it just going to waste my time? Like, is it just going to be a bit generic? It's not really about my weaknesses or anything. It's just months I'm never going to get back to training. But I think that comes from, unfortunately, a lot of stuff out there like that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it, yeah. What would you say, though, to someone who's thinking about that? Would you say to take a leap of faith or what? I'd say do your research into the coach and chat to them quite a bit beforehand because if they're not willing to put in the time just to talk to you about it, they're probably not going to put the effort into your programme to make it actually suit you rather than being a bit generic. Um, then if you find someone like 
take the leap and give it a go. It's always good to have someone else's perspective on things because they can probably see something that you can't. Even like people training with you, you might be able to help and see, spot certain things. But it's good to have a coach as well. Um, also, just for the, I don't know, it's not like, it's like when someone sets you a goal, it just becomes that target and like, I want to hit that kind of thing. Whereas when you're setting it yourself, you can start to doubt it, especially if like you're having a bit of a shit patch through training and you lose your head with certain lifts. Um, it can just start to affect everything. Have you got anything else to ask, Shane? Um, I'm sure I can come up with something if you want. <laughs> no, 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 no. What, what have you been... Uh, have you been uh, Smoking? <laughs> no, not not today actually, because um, I only I literally just got back when you were well, not really about half eight. I've been in and then I walked the dogs. I've done all sorts today. I've had a productive day, Josh. Trafford eating my sushi. Then I came on walk the dogs. And then I was like, oh, I've got a bit of chill out time. And after this, I'm going to get absolutely melted on my sofa. It's going to be great. But right. what I wanted to ask you though? What was I wanted to fucking ask you? Hmm. No, I can't remember. It'll come to me like fucking in an hour or something. Sorry. So, so yeah. You, oh, that uh, was it. Have you got any recommendations? This is for me, by the way, of um, just some tips to get more water in. That's what I wanted to ask you because I am I'm pretty spot on with my nutrition, like very consistent day to day. Not really spot on, but I'm consistent day to day. But I'm shit at drinking water. I probably drink... Oh, I don't know, maybe two liters a day, and that is only when I train and it's during training. Um, I just fucking hate drinking water, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I, I, usually recommend I, I agree, I'm the same, exactly the same, by the way. I usually recommend to have around three liters, maybe a bit more if you're training and you're quite sweaty. Um, it depends if the issue is like not liking drinking it or forgetting. The clients who tend to forget, I tend to say like sets an alarm because then it starts to become more of a habit and your body will actually tell you when you're thirsty, when you start doing that and you get into the habit of it. Also, if you just don't like drinking water, then add something to it that tastes good. Um, like whether it's just like cordial or something. Or, um, I use Marcus and Tim Finney's hydration formula, which I think is really good because it tastes good. It's got a lot of other benefits and it just gets me drinking it because I can have a, like a two litre bottle full. And like, if it's normal water, I'm sipping it and I just don't really want it. Whereas when it tastes good, like you want more. Like you could easily drink like fucking four litres of alcohol in a night, couldn't you? Cause it tastes nice. Well, what's uh, what's your take on fit like this? Cause the, all I drink really is fizzy pop, like sugar-free fizzy pop. Does that hydrate you or not? Um, anything that doesn't have caffeine in will hydrate you. Caffeinated drinks will slightly, but obviously it's a diuretic. So there's a bit of a negative effect with that. Um, but it's just the way it can affect other parts of your body and like the bloating and stuff. But in terms of hydration, it will hydrate you. Because yeah, I never get that like, I'm never thirsty. People you know who don't mean? drink enough tend to not be. But then when you actually start to drink enough, if you're, like, if you're out and you've got water with you, you, you feel the thirst a lot more than when you like used to just not drink enough water. But your body tells you when you're thirsty, when you're used to it. Whereas when you're not, it's almost like it just adapts to not drinking much. Yeah, I think that's what's definitely happened because... Uh... Sometimes I can go till, if I don't train till six, sometimes I don't drink till six. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm going to the gym. I should probably drink something. So like neck a liter or something, just because I'm like, I know I should drink it. So I just neck it. And then I'll train and I'll drink like another liter or two while I train. And then I won't drink again for the rest of the night. Um, I'm pretty shit with it, to be honest. 
If so, I'm drinking like seven litres for water load and something, the first day or two is really hard. But then after that, I start to feel really thirsty. Like even when I've already had like four or five litres, like my body just gets used to it and I start wanting more. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. When I, when I water load, like I actually feel really fucking good. It's weird because I'm like used to like being so fucking dehydrated most of the time. Because I'm like the same machine, like just busy, busy today. And like I... um. Yeah, that's what I tell myself. I'm busy. Probably had like fucking two cans of Impto all day, and a and a and a what are they call them wanky bubblegum rock stars or whatever they are. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I, honestly, that's what I was drinking just then. I've been drinking fizzy Impto, <laughs> sugar-free fizzy Impto this whole podcast. Do you think you how much water you drink, like on average, has an effect on your water load or not? Like, I mean, like your starting point kind of thing. Um. Well, it's hard to say because, like, obviously, it's only really clients I've got to waterload, and I've always tried to push them to get the three liters in just on a general daily basis, anyway. So most are around the two and a half to three mark, anyway. So it, I, I've never had someone who only sticks to like one liter a day. But I try to get them to waterload. I think I might have had one or two in the past who struggled, but they just didn't drink. They barely drank water, and then when I told them to drink like six liters, they just couldn't do it just because they weren't in the habit of drinking at all. So I feel like it'll affect your waterload just by the fact that it'll really make you struggle. Um, but I don't know if, say, having four litres to water load would actually have the same benefit as having seven if you're previously drinking three or anything like that. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, if, you, if you're drinking one litre of water a day, would you start flushing off four litres instead of, you know, seven? You probably hold a fair bit of water naturally just from drinking so little. So you might lose a bit more in a smaller amount. But I'm not too sure if it would change if it got a fair bit higher or not. If you drink less water, you'll tend to hold more water. Yeah. Oh, okay. Blow out. I got fired. <laughs> so, um, so to finish off, put put you both on the spot here. You can share. You can answer this together. Like, for <clears throat> some people, some some people have asked me before, and and I've just been a bit stumped. Really, like, what what what's the benefit? Why do I need to fucking drink two or three liters of water anyway? Like, if I if I don't feel thirsty, what what are the actual, what are the actual benefits? Why do I, what do I need to what, why do I need to? Well, it's like your kidney function and things like that, just your general organ functions. If you're dehydrated, it's not going to be working properly. Um, but but how, is it, how is it going to relate to kilos on the bar? That's what we fucking care about. Well, the studies to suggest that being even 5% dehydrated has a massive effect on mental, like, mental performance, oh! which is obviously going to affect your training and your strength. Brilliant. Uh, the main reason why I tried, like, the only time I'm good at, at drinking water is if I have a big lift coming up, I make sure I drink properly for like two days up to it because I really, really believe that most muscle tears are done when people are dehydrated. Yeah. Hence why they happen in comps a lot and not in training because people cut for comps and then fucking boom, shit flies off. So basically Shane's saying that if you don't stay hydrated you're going to tear your muscles off so um, <laughs> so uh, to finish you off a little um, little habit that you can use like Shannon's just said set, set an alarm like what a thing that thing that I use as a guide is roughly um, for recommendations roughly is it like one liter per 25 kilos of body weight ish Approximately, does that sound about reasonable? About four um, liters for me, and it so it sounds about yeah. So th say th say th for, say four liters or something for me per day. Um, 
So you can either take, take Shannon's approach of if you're struggling and you're nowhere near that, um, set an alarm on your phone, give it a go. Seems a bit tedious, but I think once you set an alarm, say one for midday or whatever, and it goes off and you realise, fuck me, I haven't, I, haven't drunk, I haven't drunk anything yet today, like you'll realise that actually it, it, it is beneficial to have that alarm. Thing that thing that I've done that I use when I'm water loading when I'm water loading is I'll get a bottle like this uh, wanky Volvic bottle here, and I'll put um, I'll put little markers with their time targets on. So I'll put like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock on it, and I'll just make sure that oh shit I need to catch up or whatever. And I think uh, you can actually buy a bottle like that as well if you want to get a fancy one. Yeah, well you can. You can you can order one off off uh, my website for uh, nineteen ninety nine <laughs> delivered. <laughs> well, I actually, someone in the gym the other day. I was yeah, on the window sill, staring at it. Think and um, but anyway. Um, so, just reminded of your website again, Shannon, and your Insta Insta tag. My website is www.shannonsnutrition.com, and my Insta is Shannon's Nutrition. Brilliant. Thank you very nice much. Nice and simple, that. Huh? We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll wrap it up there. I'll see you later, guys. Diddly-doo-doo. Thanks, Shannon. Yeah. Thank you.